Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, December 30th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So tomorrow is the last day of 2022. Can you believe that? I don't know about y'all, but this year has just flown by for me. Anyway, as is typical, this week between Christmas and New Year's has been pretty quiet uh, in terms of news. Not a lot going on in the financial world. A lot of people take the week off, uh, so I don't have any breaking news to report or anything like that. Uh, I'm going to be getting into a lot of year-in-review stuff here in the next month or so, but I just wanted to touch on the year for gold real quick before I get into uh, a couple of topics relating to the Fed. You know, I think the general impression is that gold hasn't done well this year. But if you look at it objectively, it certainly fared better than most assets. Now, we still have a day to go, but it looks like gold is going to end the year pretty close to the price where it began. On December 31st, 2021, gold was trading around 1820 an ounce and will most likely close out today pretty close to that number, I'd say within 20 bucks or so. Now, given inflation, I can certainly understand that a lot of people are disappointed in what was basically a sideways trade on the year. But compared to most assets, you were much better off holding gold. Pretty much everything else, with the exception of some other commodities, dropped through the floor this year. I mean, stocks crashed, bonds crashed, crypto crashed. So if you had gold in your portfolio, it certainly served as a hedge. Uh, You know, you didn't come out ahead, but you didn't lose ground as you did with so many other assets. Now, looking ahead, I think gold is going to do much better in 2023. At whatever point the Fed stops raising interest rates, and obviously it's going to stop at some point, gold is going to shoot up. That's what's been holding gold back, right? Every time we we hear about the Fed raising rates, uh, you know, being more aggressive in the inflation fight, then gold uh, faces headwinds and it tends to sell off. So when we actually see the Fed slowing down, stopping interest rate hikes, I think we will see gold regain momentum. And if something breaks in the economy, forcing the Fed to pivot, meaning we see interest rate cuts, we see quantitative easing back in play, I think gold's going to go through the roof. Now, as I talked about last week, I'm certain at some point something is going to break and we're going to see this pivot and we're going to see gold go through the roof, but I'm not at all certain on the timing. Having looked at how 2008 unfolded, I'm becoming more inclined to think this may take a while to play out. But as I've been saying, this economy is built on easy money. It's built on low interest rates. It's built on money creation, quantitative easing. It can only limp along so long without its easy money drug. So again, I'm certain something is going to break, or almost certain. I just don't know when. So anyway, I'll get more into how things played out in the gold market over the last year uh, here in a few weeks when the uh, final data starts rolling in. Also, of course, the silver market and the economy. Uh, It's always interesting as you get into January to kind of look back over the past year and, of course, look ahead toward uh, the next year. But as I said earlier, 
you know, it was a pretty quiet week out there. Uh, but there are a few things of interest that I want to touch on. And both of them kind of taken together adds fuel to my belief that the Fed cannot win the game that it's playing. And that game, of course, is uh, its fight against inflation. It's trying to take down inflation without taking down the economy. And I'm becoming more and more convinced, or am not becoming, I am convinced that this is a game that the Fed can't win. It never could win. And uh, these kind of news items that we're going to touch on today are two more reasons why. Um, the first is the big spending bill, the omnibus spending bill that was passed by Congress last week. Now, you know, I like to rail against big government just on principle. Uh, you know, most of this spending is unconstitutional. If we actually had a federal government constrained by the Constitution, almost none of this spending would happen. And, you know, just the idea that the, the federal government can do everything, that can fix every problem, it just needs to spend money, I think this is absurd. Uh, but for our purposes, I really want to focus on how all of this spending will impact inflation. Now, in a nutshell, it will ultimately mean more of it, meaning we're going to get more inflation because of all of this government spending. The $1.7 trillion bill will fund government operations for the remainder of fiscal 2023. So this is kind of your discretionary spending bill. Uh, all of your departments get their money through this omnibus bill. It includes about $800 billion in domestic spending. That's a 9.3% increase over fiscal 2022. And then it also includes $858 billion in military spending. That's a 10% increase over last year's levels. Overall, the omnibus bill authorized about $1.5 billion more in spending than last year's budget. So we've got more spending than last year coming down the pipe. And, you know, of course, this is only one component of federal expenditures. In March 2021, Congress approved a $1.9 trillion bill for uh, spending to address the pandemic. And then, of course, earlier this year, it passed the euphemistically named Inflation Reduction Act, which was previously known as Build Back Better. Um, all of that spending is going to pile on top of this recent allocation of funding. So, you know, trillions of dollars in spending. We're already running massive budget deficits. We're starting to see revenues into the federal government decline. The federal government's putting itself in a very bad situation from a fiscal standpoint. Check out this quote by Nancy Pelosi. Yes, indeed, the goose is getting fat. We have a big bill here because we have big needs for our country. You know, I love how these people act like all of this is free. You know, like Congress does magic and then poof, stuff appears. The country is funded. We take care of all of your problems. Never forget, nothing is free. And that includes government goodies. You pay for everything the government does. You, not some rich dude. Not somebody out there, not corporations, you. You're paying for it in taxes, and you're paying for it in inflation. Whenever you go to the grocery store and, and lament the fact that your steak cost a bajillion dollars more than it did last year, you know, 
just remember that you're paying for all of the crap that the government handed out during the pandemic and, and even before that. Of course, all of this spending will only increase inflation. In other words, you'll eventually foot the bill for Nancy Pelosi's fat goose. And this is a big problem for the Federal Reserve as it attempts to stem the tide of rising prices. In fact, it is impossible for the central bank to get a handle on inflation when the government keeps running bigger and bigger deficits that can only be sustained by more inflation. The Fed has primarily relied on interest rate cuts to battle inflation. I mean, it's shrunk its balance sheet modestly. I'm going to get into that here in a minute. But it can't slay the inflation dragon with monetary policy alone. Now, I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating because it's important. The Fed knows this. A paper published by the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank even acknowledged this fact. In a nutshell, the authors... And again, this is a Fed paper, so Fed people are arguing that the Fed can't control inflation alone. U.S. government fiscal policy contributes to inflationary pressures and makes it impossible for the Fed to do its job. Now, you'll hear politicians out there saying, oh, no, government spending doesn't cause inflation. It's, It's greedy corporations and all this other BS. No, even the Fed will tell you that U.S. government fiscal policy, borrowing and spending, contributes to inflation. This is from that paper. Trend inflation is fully controlled by the monetary authority, the Fed, only when public debt can be successfully stabilized by credible future fiscal plans. Now, this huge spending bill, that is not successfully stabilizing public debt. It's just adding on to the pile of public debt. The paper goes on. When the fiscal authority, that's your federal government, is not perceived as fully responsible, it's not, for covering the existing fiscal imbalances, the private sector expects that inflation will rise to ensure sustainability of national debt. Let me read that again. The private sector expects that inflation will rise to ensure sustainability of national debt. So this is the Fed admitting that inflation has to be created. In other words, money has to be printed to sustain the national debt. Going on with the paper, as a result, a large fiscal imbalance a huge national debt, lots of deficits, combined with a weakening fiscal credibility, may lead trend inflation to drift away from the long-run target chosen by the monetary authority. In other words, when the federal government is running trillions of dollars in deficits that the Fed ultimately has to monetize, it's not going to get back to 2% inflation. That's what this paper is telling you. So why does the private sector expect more inflation in order to sustain the debt? Because ultimately, the central bank has to monetize the debt. That means the Fed has to create money out of thin air, printing money, in order to buy U.S. debt. I know the Fed doesn't actually print the money, but it's a euphemism. Just go with it. Anyway, without the Fed intervening in the bond market, the U.S. Treasury cannot sell enough bonds with a low enough interest rate to keep borrowing and spending going, at least not at a sustainable level. So, Even with the pandemic-era spending winding down, last year the U.S. government ran a $1.38 trillion budget deficit. That was fiscal 2022. This despite government receipts coming in at near-record levels. Now, 
Tax revenues are expected to decline in the months ahead, especially if we have a recession. If we have a deep recession, you're going to see a huge drop in federal receipts. Clearly, the spending isn't coming down. That means we're going to have even bigger deficits as we move ahead into 2023. And bigger deficits, that means more borrowing, right? So the Federal Reserve enables the U.S. government's borrowing and spending spree. During the pandemic, the Fed bought trillions of dollars in U.S. Treasury bonds. This artificial demand kept the bond prices higher than they otherwise would have been, and it kept interest rates lower than they otherwise would have been. Without the Fed's big fat thumb on the bond market, all of the borrowing would have driven interest rates to an unsustainable level. Keep in mind, if you're a borrower, you want interest rates to be low. The federal government has a big problem when interest rates start going up, when it's trying to manage over $31 trillion in debt. But in order to fight price inflation, the Fed has to shrink its balance sheet. That means it's no longer buying bonds. This is a huge problem for the U.S. Treasury as it tries to find willing buyers for its Treasury debt. It's really all a matter of supply and demand, right? The more the federal government borrows, the more Treasury bonds it has to issue. That means more supply. There's more of those bonds out there. As supply goes up, in relation to demand, so if demand stays relatively stable, the supply goes up, well, the price is going to drop, and that means interest rates are going to go up. So again, we have this, this pressure on supply and demand, which is pushing interest rates higher. Now, there's another side of this equation as well. How does the Fed pay for all of these bonds when it's doing quantitative easing? Well, it pays for them by creating money out of thin air, and then banks inject that new money into the economy. That is, by definition, inflation. So the question is, how will the government finance these massive deficits that will only get bigger with this new spending bill with the Fed on the sidelines? Now, the answer is it won't, at least not over the long term. If the Fed doesn't go back to quantitative easing, bond buying. Interest rates will rise much higher and crush the federal government under interest payments. In fact, the U.S. government is already having trouble with rising interest rates. If interest rates remain elevated or continue rising, interest expense could climb rapidly into the top three federal expenses. It's already in the top six. The bottom line is the Federal Reserve can't slay inflation while the federal government is spending itself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. Given that there is no end in sight to the spending, we should expect inflation to remain with us for the indefinite future. Inflation is necessary for the borrowing and spending. Now, I mentioned the Fed's balance sheet. As I said, most of the attention is on interest rate hikes. That's what you hear about in the news. When you talk about the inflation fight, most people think about rising interest rates. But really, balance sheet reduction is a more significant part of fighting inflation. And I hate to say it, that's not really going all that well. The December FOMC statement mentioned balance sheet reduction in passing. It said the committee will continue reducing its holdings of Treasury securities and agency debt and agency mortgage-backed security as described in the plans for reducing the size of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet that were issued in May. Now, that sounds good. Basically says, you know, we're, we're just rolling right along with 
balance sheet reduction. It's kind of like in uh, 2018 when it was on autopilot. The problem with this statement is that it isn't following the plan that was described in May. This plan called for $30 billion in U.S. Treasuries and $17.5 billion in mortgage-backed securities to roll off the balance sheet in June, July, and August. So that would be a total of $45 billion a month coming off the balance sheet. In September, the Fed said it was going to increase that pace to $95 billion per month. Now, I did some quick math. Given the plan, the Fed balance sheet should have dropped by $560 billion as of the end of December. According to the latest data as of December 19th, the balance sheet had only shrunk by $401 billion. That means unless there is a significant drop in the balance sheet in this last week of the year, unlikely given the holidays, balance sheet reduction is nearly 160. billion behind the planned pace. Now, this raises a big question in my mind. If the Fed is really committed to attacking, fighting, and ending inflation, why is it shrinking its balance sheet so slowly? I mean, the question becomes even more poignant when you realize that the quantitative tightening plan that was announced in May wasn't particularly ambitious to begin with. At $95 billion per month, which is the pace they're supposedly on that they're not even meeting, it would take 7.8 years for the Fed to shrink its balance sheet back to pre-pandemic levels. And ladies and gentlemen, shrinking the balance sheet is how you slay inflation, right? Ultimately, to really get a handle on inflation, you have to decrease the money supply. Inflation is an increase in the money supply. So it logically follows that if you want to get rid of inflation, you've got to decrease the money supply. You need to suck all of the money that was created during all of that quantitative easing back out of the system. Now, We've seen a few months recently where money supply, as measured by M2, has actually contracted. So they're doing something. But overall, M2 money growth for the year is flatlined at zero. It hasn't grown, but it hasn't contracted either. Now, I mean, let's be real. It's certainly an improvement over the massive money supply expansion we saw during the pandemic. But just stopping money supply growth isn't going to put the brakes on inflation. That money's still out there, right? It's just going to slow it down, which is exactly what we're seeing in the CPI data. I've said this before. We should expect to see, P- to see CPI data drop over the next several months. Clearly, what the Fed is doing is having some impact, but it's not going to get it back down to 2%. It's too little too late. And and while the slowdown in money creation isn't enough to bring inflation to that mythical 2% target, it is significant enough to pop a bubble economy addicted to easy money. As our shift gold analyst Tony put it, the Fed may be confident in their rate hikes and the resiliency of the economy, but they are playing with serious fire. They have put the entire economy at serious risk of a major event as the liquidity has dried up extremely fast. So Tony's basically saying the same thing I've been saying, that something's going to break in the economy because we have a bubble economy that's addicted to easy money, and they've pulled all that liquidity out at a relatively fast pace, given how quickly they put the the money into the economy to begin with. The bottom line is that while the Fed talks a good game, 
about being committed to reigning in inflation. Its actions don't line up with its rhetoric, especially when it comes to reducing the size of its bloated balance sheet. And again, this calls into question the Fed's commitment to fighting inflation. If the central bank truly viewed inflation as public enemy number one, as Jerome Powell said, and if it truly believed the economy is really strong enough to handle tighter monetary policy, why isn't it aggressively reducing its balance sheet? I mean, Peter's asked this question of interest rate hikes. You know, if you know that we need an interest rate of, of say, 5% to get inflation under control, and inflation is public enemy number one, why don't they just go to 5%? Why are they dillying and dallying and, and playing word games? If you ask me, it's because the Fed is trying to walk a tightrope. It's a wing and a prayer monetary policy, right? The central bankers know they have to do something. People have noticed the inflation, so they can't get away with ignoring it like they did after 08. You know, they said, oh, this is fine. We can print all this money. It's not hurting anything because all that inflation was going into asset prices and stuff, right? So that was no problem. But after the pandemic, we got the price inflation, right? Everybody saw it. You couldn't deny it anymore. Now, they tried to deny it. You know, first they said, oh, this is transitory. And then when they realized, well, we can't sell that load of crap anymore, then they said, well, you know, we just need to do a little tightening and everything will be fine. And, and now they're still saying, you know, I think we might be able to bring this in to a soft landing, maybe, hopefully. <sighs> Deep down, I think that they know that they can't do too much, right? They know they have to do something to get inflation under control. But I think they also recognize that if they do too much inflation fighting, it will wreck the economy. They have to know this. That's why they're going in incremental steps. That's why they're soft-footing it. That's why they're trying to do uh, what I like to call open-mouth operations, you know, try to talk things down. And and then basically they've got their fingers crossed, and, and they're just hoping that the economy doesn't crash or they can find some plausible excuse to pivot before we actually see whatever it is break that's going to break. So they're hoping against hope. They're hoping that they can do just enough to make price inflation go down, at least enough to get everybody happy, you know, and they're, oh, okay, you know, it's all right. You know, maybe it's only 3%, but that's better than 8%, right? They're hoping they can do that with minimal impact on the economy. Here's the thing, they can't. They cannot win this game. It's a losing game, so get ready. Now, one thing you can do is consider adding some gold and silver to your portfolio. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I think gold is going to do much better in 2023. Peter Schiff this week uh, in, in an interview talked about how he's really bullish on gold in 2023. Uh, Doug Casey, another guy who said uh, 2023 is going to be the year for gold. So maybe you want to add some to your portfolio. Like I said, if you were holding gold in 2022, uh, you know, you didn't get rich. Uh, you may not be really excited about it, but at least you didn't lose a bunch of money like folks in crypto or the stock market did, right? So talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist. Call 1-888-GOLD-160 or email them info at shiftgold.com. Or uh, you can simply go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started tab, and you can chat with a precious metal specialist right there online. Uh, I've said this before. I say it every week. These guys are fantastic. They'll listen to you. They'll consider your investment goals, you know, where you are in your financial journey and help you see how or if precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So do that today. 
So next week, I'm going on vacation, like a legit vacation. I'm leaving Florida, going to the Caribbean. But I would be remiss to make you start out the new year without an episode of the Friday Gold Wrap. So what I'm going to do is, before I go, probably this weekend, I'm going to record an Ask Me Anything episode of the Friday Gold Wrap. I actually solicited questions on Facebook. I got some great questions, some funny questions. I'm going to answer as many as I can uh, in an episode of the Gold Wrap. So you can look forward to that uh, uh, next Friday, and then the following Friday after that, we'll get back into uh, the, the regular programming and uh, probably start getting some data from 2022 and, and, and looking back and, and looking ahead. So with that, we have a gold wrap for this week. Now, of course, you can get more details on all of the stories I've talked about and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, we're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of these things are on the show notes page. You can email me, mmaharry, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from folks. And I hope you have a great new year. And, uh, you know, to be silly and cliche, I'll see y'all next year. <laughs>